to the 48th episode of Everyday Journal. We are on the show tonight with myself, co-host Bob Wong and Travis Yu. Hello. Bob's here as well. Let's do this. Yeah, let's go into it. So like we just talked about in the pre-show, um, there were some interesting developments in both modern and popper. And yeah, <laughs> not really. <laughs> <laughs> so earlier this week, Wizards of the Coast um, shook up the meta legacy meta game in a way that's hardly ever happened before when they banned Deathrite Shaman and Cataxian Probe. Two of the most requested cards for, for a banning, and even though like I didn't expect them to, I'm really excited to see how Legacy develops. So how how are you guys feeling about this? Yeah, definitely same boat as usually. And we're like most hardcore legacy players were just like kind of bored with the format. There are only like a few good things to be doing, and it just like had narrowed down considerably in the past few years. And like you said, I think this is like probably the one of the biggest announcements like possibly ever, because you know, like I, I was counting maybe like 50 to 60 percent of the metagame played either one or both of those cards and you know the best deck Rixus still ever played both and it's just like you know the other other bannings like top and cruise it was like it was a little bit more pinpointed um but these decks these cards went into like so many different decks and it's going to be like wide open again what do you think Jarvis? uh i think death right in particular encouraged you know the blue black sort of base of good stuff decks you know you saw that with sultai with pile with even Grixis Delver is basically was a good stuff deck. So the homogenization, yeah, people were getting bored of that. So I think this ban was probably good for format diversity. Yeah, do you think it also has something to do with the upcoming Pro Tour? Or, because I honestly have to admit, I, I was so excited, I didn't even read their explanation because I figured I could, could already tell what it was going to be. Um, like people said with the, the Splinter Twin Band, that was something to shake up the format. Or do you like actually believe that Wizards also got fed up with the format? Because people tell me that the Wizards employees at uh, Seattle, they actually show up to legacy events up there quite often. So maybe they're feeling the same. I, I actually have a large wealth of experience with this, given that I would have played the Pro Tour where Splinter Twin was legal if you know, if I if I could have played it. And also that yes, I think it is mostly them wanting to see not like fifty percent Delver mirrors or whatever every single round, you know. That's boring for coverage, that's boring for their format, that's just horrible for them to watch. Yeah, and added to the fact, this, like you mentioned before, this was a band like a lot of people were asking for for a while. And actually, it's kind of funny. So when we went to the last GP Seattle, um, so I wasn't there, but Gavin Verhey had had dinner with a bunch of the guys, um, a lot of people who were on the Leaving a Legacy podcast. And like the most requested card talked about there was Probe, obviously along with Death Right, but people kind of talked about both these cards. And people have been complaining about these cards like the whole time to Gavin. So I wonder if he actually like, listen to them from that <laughs> like yeah okay we'll, we'll do it and it's kind of become like 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 maybe we're to the point where like if enough people complain enough they'll actually do something which i don't know if is a good or bad thing i think it's probably a good thing because i feel like people are complaining like not without reason so yeah, i guess hey I, I have a funny story about death right shaman from grand prix seattle this last one i was talking to sam stoddard you know he's a r&d employee he said originally Deathrite Shaman was only slated to target things in your own graveyard, 
Okay. Well, Commander players said, oh, this card's not powerful enough for our format. If we could hold <laughs> graveyard, it'd be much better. That's and that's amazing. why the card is printed the way it is. The other reason it's a 1-2 is because Ewok Trickery was also an RTR. They didn't want Ewok Trickery to kill Deathrite Shaman. Okay. Oh, this is actually super uh, interesting. We need you for a lot more background infos on, on these kind yeah. of cards. So the, that's why it ended up as a 1-2, and that's why it was able yeah. to target any graveyard, both I of think... which... Both of which, you know, made it a really, really strong card. Yeah. It's literally every single line of text on Deathrite Shaman. If you made it, like, slightly worse, it would probably still be playable. But, like, all of them together make it just so broken. Or, like, unbelievably good. I don't know if broken is the right word, but it's just, like, unbelievably good. Yeah, I good think it's going to be one of those cards. If you come into the format later, you will eventually look at the ban list and be like, why is this card on the ban list? Like, what yeah, does it do? But it's one of those instances where you just had to be there and experience what it did. And like Probe, it's not about power level, but it it's about what it does to the gameplay. And every time, I can only speak for myself, but every time I get probed on the very first turn, I really feel like, oh, it's going to be one of those games. And I feel completely naked and, and like you don't really get to play your hidden information game anymore. And that's annoying. It's just boring. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to how things are going to pan out. And... Uh, how about you guys? Like, if you were to go to a GP in two weeks, and like, I'm not going to a GP, but I'm going to MKM Prague in two weeks, which I expect to be reasonably big, and it's going to be one of the most interesting experiences when people like can't play their old faithful, especially in Prague, where there's actually not only by name but actually a lot of checkpile because it like was really popular. There. Yes, T Thomas Marr and a uh, few other people, you know, they really worked on that deck a lot. I remember, Strasky came over to the U.S. American yeah. uh, Eternal Weekend last year, stayed at Steve Rubin's house, didn't play Vintage, only, and played the Legacy and Top Aided, um, and just playing literally Tomas Mars cards in the tournament, because Strasky doesn't really you know own Legacy cards, but it was really cool to see. Obviously, the deck is sort of dead now. Um, probably will... If, if people want to go that route, there's probably some sort of Grixis control concoction. Obviously, it will be worse yeah. for a lot of reasons, but it is something you could try to make work. Yeah, at the core, the deck is just blue-black with a little splash of red. And I guess, yeah, green <laughs> is also important. It's, it's kind of hard. Like, Tomasz, he started out developing uh, what eventually turned into Checkpile as a Buck Delver deck and then was like a four-color Delver deck. And eventually he realized, hey, I don't even need those Delvers. I, I'm just going to play the mid-range game. So I really wonder where he's going now because he himself is probably one of the greediest players ever when it comes to building decks. <laughs> so he's probably just going to stay four-color and be like, yeah, it's fine. I'm going to make it. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how he'll fare against what I consider to be one of the obvious predators, which is, you know, Canadian Threshold or Rugged Over to newer players. Like, the... Threshold is very, very good at setting up a wall of mana denial and, like, annoying disruptive threats. In particular, Nimble Mongoose was one of the cards that was kept down by Deathrite Shaman. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, too. And, I, like, I think you mentioned, too, they never stated specifically as for, like, you know, shaking up the format like they did with the Twin Ban. But the Pro Tour is coming up. A bunch of tournaments are coming up. There's a GP coming up a month after the Pro Tour or, or even less. So, I don't know, I think it's going to be, like, super exciting to see people, like, play new decks or, or even go back to old decks and, like, see how they do now. Like, I don't know, Jarvis, so we were also, you know, discussing earlier, like, what do you think the best deck's going to be? And Jarvis' first guess was going to be Rugged Delver. My first guess is probably Miracles. Um, so, yeah, we can talk about that. What do you guys think? Yeah, in a way, it feels that we've been slowly going back to what Legacy was like, like, 
in early 2012 uh, with right, their right. most recent bands, which to me was like right before GP Ghent, where we had this this trifecta of Canadian Threshold, Maverick, and I think I always keep forgetting about a uh, Stoneblade, so Esper Stoneblade. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. Miracles came into the picture, and like Show and Tell was also playable, but it didn't have Grizzlebrand yet. It did have Emrakul, so it was like a deck that you could beat with, like, especially Maverick style strategies, but yeah. wouldn't always. So it felt like fair. But now that Miracles is as good as it is now, and I think back then people weren't just uh, constructing it correctly, but now they do, but they lost tops, so it might also be like on a reasonable power level, but I definitely think that Canadian Threshold and Miracles are going to be big decks. And I also really like watching good Canadian players playing against Miracles. Uh, so that's another shout-out to, for example, Jonathan Alexander, who really perfected the art of playing Rock Diver against Miracles, so I'm also looking forward to seeing that. Other than that, I also really feel that Green-White Maverick could be a really good deck again. It's less important to... Like, you could even splash for Red for Punishing Fire, like they did back then, or even Black if you need a Prop Decay. I'm not sure you're going to need a Prop Decay as much as you used to. So it's just like... It's one of my favorite decks, and I really, really hope it makes a comeback. It also makes for interesting games against Rock Diver, but that deck is going to be big, and I couldn't be happy about that. I'm actually excited to see what the you know Canadian professionals who are playing this pro tour are going to do. <laughs> who are playing the Legacy seat, in particular, like Hain, Hain, Pascal, you know them. They are from Canada. They <laughs> were friends with David Kaplan, who was the original you know inventor of the deck forever yeah. ago. Do, do you remember who that is? I've never met him, but I've seen him. Yeah, he, I always he think about Lam Fam as one of like the inventors. Wear bears, you know. Very old school. <laughs> very, very old cards, very old school construction like of the deck. Fletchling Dragon, <laughs> Mystic Enforcer and that stuff? Uh, Mystic Enforcer was... That a, was like an so earlier version of that Threshold. Was a, that was Bant Threshold that had no Wastelands. And that was probably circa 2005, if I had to guess, at uh, Grand Prix Philadelphia. Yeah, there was a Grand Prix in Lille in that year. And Mystic Enforcer, uh, or actually Band Threshold went to, I think the finals even, might have been Helmut Summersberger, I'm not sure. But it uh, also played yeah, meddling mages. Yeah, GP Lil 05, I think, is the one you're thinking of. Yeah, exactly. But that yeah. are, that's quite far away. We got a lot of new cards ever since then, but yeah. Any kind of threshold, if that makes a return, I'm going to be so happy. <laughs> so, Bob, yeah. what do you yeah. think about Grixis, Delva? It uh, lost eight uh, key cards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, you can't build it the current way, and I think Young Pyromancer has lost a lot of its appeal when you, like, you still have, like, the Pyromancer therapy interaction, but I think that's more suited to a mid-range game than a aggressive Delver game now, um, just because you don't have, like, the nuts, like, turn two Pyromancer double probe hands anymore, so... So I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I think some sort of Grixis might still make sense because a lot of the other cards are still good. Um, but obviously it's going to be way worse. So I don't know. I a couple cards I think you know maybe used to see play and might make a comeback. Um, two I have on my mind. One that I think is definitely going to see a lot of play is Submerge because I think oh, all yeah. the green future decks are going to be back in a big way like Rug Delver, Maverick. I think Submerge is going to be huge. People used to play four in their like rug delver sideboards <laughs> for the mirror. I so and it's also you know sometimes you can hit a merit lodge with that. Um, so I think Submerge is going to come back and maybe even something like Sinkhole because if there's not enough people playing mana dorks and people just try to win with basics against rug delver, I think that could be an interesting avenue for like blue black X delver to take. 
um, stifles and sinkholes. Like going back really old school to the original Team America, that's how they built the deck. Was just like really trying really hard to mana screw your opponent. Like four sinkholes, four stifles, four wastelands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why not? Twelve stone rains. Didn't they also play Tombstalker? Yeah, they yeah. did. But now you have Gurmag Angler, so you could probably just like I don't know, run four Delivers, four Gurmags, and play all the land destruction cards. I was like brainstorming some lists with that. I think you still need Lightning Bolt in that kind of deck. Um, so I don't know. Like, there's a lot of different ways you can go. Like, that's what's so exciting. Yeah, and I guess we are about to see starting today because the, the, I think the changes are live on Magic Online right now, and I'm definitely gonna jump into that uh, tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow! Oh, I was so hoping I could get a couple of games in tonight. There, there's, there seems to be the philosophy of a lot of the people who are playing leagues have like basically changed their deck just to try it out. So yeah. there's sort of a soft ban, but there's a few people who want to get their last few matches in with Rixus Delver. I mean, I've played like four or five leagues since. Um, so it was announced on Monday. On Tuesday, I, I finished my league with Rixus Delver, and I, I assume some people were finishing their leagues. But since Wednesday, I've played like five or six leagues, and I haven't played against a single banned card. So it's pretty oh, much. Okay. In the okay. Yeah. That's good because I was jumping into the the casual queue, uh, the tournament practice queue, and I made a comment about no Death Watch and no uh, probe, and I got a couple of weird decks. Um, <laughs> some R academy rector combo deck that never really worked out, but other than that, a ton yeah. of Death in Texas, which also should get a lot better. Like oh, I played against that's the most popular deck I've played against. Death in Texas number one, and then Rug Delver number two are the two decks I've played against the most. Obviously, this is very anecdotal. But I wouldn't be surprised if those are, you know, two of the most popular decks. And and, and Death Knights is way better than before. Like before, everybody was playing like Colligan's Command and tons of sweepers. Now I don't think you can really fit Colligan's Command in any of the existing decks. And there's way less of a reason to play those sweepers too. So it's gonna be super interesting. So what do you think about combo in general, guys? Like both uh, A and T Storm combo, but also Reanimator. So funny that you mentioned that. I think your passing flames are a lot safer now. So it's actually more of a Pass and Flames combo deck than an Ad Nauseum deck now, if I had to guess. And plus the Pass and Flames route is much better versus Rog Delver. So I, I would suspect that you see a lot of 2x, um, two main deck Pass and Flames builds, maybe moving the Ad Nauseum to a sideboard. And I don't know, the, I, the deck just seems so, reasonably good to me. Losing yeah. Probe is a pretty big loss to that deck. Because it was, it sort of thinned your deck and gave you information. Like you could always sandbag a probe until the turn you wanted to go off. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, with regards to Reanimator, it'll probably be an improved game one deck, obviously. But time will tell, like how much graveyard hate with people will end up within a sideboard, which I think is the major issue, right? Yeah. At least in my area, when people talk about Reanimator, they're like, okay, I'm going to dedicate like eight cards in the sideboard to Reanimator. <laughs> and they're probably going to do that for the first tournament, and then they won't play yeah. against Reanimator ever and slowly cut down on that hate again. Um, I just feel like a lot of people who are thinking the sky is falling with regards to Reanimator probably weren't around before Deathrite Shaman, which was actually like six years ago. So I wouldn't be surprised right. if almost 50% of the players who are vocal about that right now weren't around back then. Because back then, um, we didn't have something like Cage, which only came out right afterwards. Or I think together with Deathrite Shaman, the same set. Is it like Innistrad? Probably. No, Cage came in Innistrad, and yeah. Deathrite was a year A return after to Ravnica, yeah. yeah. It was literally a year after, because, you know, that's... They overlapped in one standard format. I'm so happy not... that we actually have a real standard player here <laughs> to, to make these connections. <laughs> 
Uh, so yeah, um, Reanimator was a really good deck, and I, I remember there was a GP where like all the Channel Fireball players were playing it because they figured it's a really good deck, which it is. But I, I played that Grand Prix too with Loyal Retainers Maverick. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love that deck too. Atlanta, right? <laughs> yeah, people were playing Crocus in the Reanimator decks just to kill other Crocuses. <laughs> yeah, that was actually brilliant deck building by a lot of the people who playing Reanimator. Just like, oh, you want to try to answer my Gristle Brand with Caracas? I'm just going to play my Caracas beforehand. It's also so super good at Mirror. Right. Yeah. It was also just insane, the Mirror. It was, it was just clever deck building. Yeah. So I believe that it's not going to be as big of a problem as it was back then. Uh, even though it's got a couple new duels, especially since Crystal Brand was uh, was printed back then, if you could handle the threat that they put on the board, you were back to even. Whereas now it's a bit more complicated, but I'm not that scared, and I think it's still a better trade-off to have those two cards gone than than to like always live in the misery that was Legacy before the ban. So I can see Reanimator doing well. Do you guys think blue black Reanimator is becoming more dominant again, or is it gonna stay with black red Reanimator? That is a big question box to me as well. I think the trade-offs are Bubak is a slower deck, but it's slightly more resilient. And the question is, do you need that resiliency? Like, And also, how valuable is show-and-tell like, in game one or even post-board? Like, th- those are the big question marks for blue-black versus red-black for me. Yeah, I think show-and-tell is a big, big key part in playing around the hate. Sometimes you sit there with like all surgicals and, well, I guess not the side chairman anymore, but oozes or what have you, and then they go turn two or turn three show-and-tell and it slides out for you. Um, I believe one of the biggest draws towards black-red reanimator has also been how cheap it is to actually build, like compared to the <laughs> other legacy decks. I think that yeah. that was a big reason why people gravitated towards that deck, whereas the the original blue-black reanimator used to be pretty expensive with, ex, uh, with the Cs, and I guess Force isn't even all that much of an expensive card anymore, but it certainly was back then <laughs> compared to the other decks. Uh, so... I guess people who already played Black Red Reanimator will keep playing it. Um, others that aren't married to any deck yet might consider the Blue Black Reanimator deck. Um, so, guys, what would you play? Seriously, if there was a GP this weekend and you had to play something, what would you go for? I would just tune my Rug Delver deck to Wind Mirrors and Vris, Death and Taxes and Miracles. Wow, you would play Rug Delver, dang. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think okay. it is one of the most, like, proven decks for sure and maybe i should try it out i just like to me the deck feels like i think maybe julian you made this comment like whenever someone plays rug delver it's like a 2012 called you know like it's just like a very old school deck that hasn't really gotten that many new printings like it got true name nemesis and like that's like pretty much the only impactful card that i that most people are playing that it got recently and it's not even recent it was like five years ago now um so i don't know um, it just feels a little bit outdated. I don't think it's good against death and taxes. I don't think it's good against you know the turbo depths decks or lands. So I think, and I don't think it's good against moon prison either. So I think it has a lot of weaknesses that weren't there back in 2012. Mm, interesting. Um, I think one of the things about uh, Canadian Threshold or Rock Diver is that it's so optimized in most of its slots that it would actually be hard to print a card that would be better at what the current card in that slot already does. So that's why we're also not seeing a lot of innovation in that deck because like what what could you even like imp- what do you want to improve on that deck? It's pretty much got 50-50% game against most of the field, which is like 
it has been kind of the tech line. Like in game one, you're like 48% against the field and then you bring in your sideboard cards and you're like 55% against the field and that's still kind of good enough. I guess my gut feeling would tell me that's actually too low for the numbers. But anyway, the thing is that it's pretty even against everything and people just enjoy how optimized it is. And also, like, you get to play sweet cards. Like, I think Submerge is actually, like, a really broken card in regards to what it does. Like, it's... <laughs> It's removal for zero mana. Seriously? Like, people are like, yeah, but if you can't shuffle, yeah, but the opponent also gets kind of denied his next draw step. So, to me, it's a removal spell, and it's a zero mana removal spell. I think it's amazing. It's actually one of my favorite sideboard cards. Like, my three favorite sideboard cards in Legacy are Canonist, uh, Submerge, and Flusterstorm. And seeing that card make a comeback, even though it's good against elves, I'm still still happy to see it back in the format. I I think often people do underrate it. They're like, they're just saying, oh, they're just going to draw it again. You Not realizing that you deny them a draw step. Compared to Unexpectedly Absent, which costs white-white for the same effect. I mean, granted, Absent can hit any non-land permanent, but I think Wizards realize that effects like that should not cost zero mana. That's just a huge mistake. Yeah, exactly. Like With Absent, at least you also make them like spend half a turn or, or even more right. mana-wise. So you don't feel as bad about that, but Submerge is like really good. And I, I think would you play like four on the sideboard? That is literally just a calculation of how many green decks you expect in the field. I think. Mm-hmm. Do you think Maverick is going to make an impact? I think people are going to try it, and then we'll see. <laughs> if it's good or not. I mean, that, that's that's how I feel. I think it's. I think it's okay. The question is like Maverick versus Death and Taxes, basically. I've been told by a few people that Maverick is heavily favored in the matchup. In that, for in that matchup, okay. Against Death and Taxes, yeah. I think I see that. So I've been I've been playtesting Bant, um, uh, and like with the Green Sun Zenith package. But the problem with Bant is it's really hard to have enough blue cards to support Force of Will um, mm-hmm. pretty well. Um, and honestly, it's like all the Maverick cards are fine. I just it's it's hard for me to play a deck without brainstorm, so I'm probably not gonna try that deck. But <laughs> I think all the cards in it are are reasonable, like Thalia having Teague main deck. Like yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's surprisingly Maybe. flexible. I really enjoyed it when I played it back in like mid late 2011, and I think you you had pretty good game against most of the decks. Uh, combo was iffy, but he also played main deck Teague, so that helped out. Um, yeah, I. If I wasn't going to play Elves, which I am still going to continue to see how it works out, I would certainly play either Rock Delva or Canadian Tra- uh, uh, Maverick. But Jarvis, you're n- you you would be moving away from lands. Like you're the, I want to say, call landlord <laughs> of legacy. <laughs> so the thing a lot of people don't realize this is the reason I played lands at that GP in particular was... First off, Bob said his data indicated it was one of the best decks during that era. And I'm just a Bob's huge data. proponent of maximizing win percentage as opposed to personal preference. So I played it for that tournament. Then, obviously, like, it, it's funny. I actually don't think I played even close to perfectly in any of the matches back then. But the deck was so powerful and it was so unknown that it had a lot of free wins. And nowadays, I think the opposite is true. People have like stepped up their game. They've like actually played against people playing the deck at a reasonable level, and they've learned most of the tricks and you know things it's capable of. So I think it's still a reasonable deck. It's no longer the powerhouse it used to be, is how I would put it. Also, you might not even play it, even if Deathwatch Chairman and, and Great Axiom Probe were legal. Yeah, it, 
there's like a weird backlash that if you expect well once death right is banned you expect a few broken combo decks to come back which are just traditionally not great matchups for the deck mm, okay okay so we might see you back on on well can i say back on nimble mongoose have you played rock diver before i so when the when delver secrets was printed in innistrad i revisited that deck i think so that would have been 2011 fall 2011 i think Mm-hmm. is the case. Yeah, I think I played it then. And then for a while I played Esper Stoneblade during that era. Then when Dig Through Time was printed, that past <laughs> a few years, I played Jeskai Control in that Grand Prix in New Jersey, which was 4,400 people. And I got, I won 13-2, and both my losses were punts because, like, if you remember that GP, it ended at, like, what midnight or something ridiculous yeah quite late and i i tried to get food and it took us forever to get food and then i didn't fall asleep until like 2 30 so i was exhausted my round one of the second day and i punted then i won all the rest of my matches so i think bob also top 16 that he went right didn't, didn't you play back yeah. back then he played just guy with counterbalance top on the board i believe oh really yeah just guy delver yeah you just out countertopped a lot of the Miracles decks. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was the Treasure Cruise format, so that's also, you know, a completely different beast. Yeah. Uh, speaking of top and counterbalance, so do you guys also feel pretty good against Miracles, about Miracles right now? Yeah, like, I'm thinking in my head, like, it doesn't really have any bad matchups. Like, combo's not, like, as favorable as it is for Delver, but I think it's still slightly favored in those matchups. And then it has all the tools to answer everything that's happening in the format. Like, I love Snapcaster Mage. Red Elemental Blast, Swords of Plashers, Terminus, Engineered Explosives, too, is excellent against Rug Delver and Death and Taxes. Um, so I think that card should see more play. So, I don't know, it just feels like it has all the answers to me. And Charis? I think it's a fine deck. I don't, like, there's a lot of questions to me about how you should build it. Mostly, I think those questions align with your play style. I think it's actually better for Bob to play a build that has Mentor in it, because it supports his more... Delvery aggressive sort of play style. I just watched him play a match with Justin Treat. I think he did not play optimally. Whereas <laughs> yeah. if he had just mentors in his deck, I think it, it would have been better for him as a player. And also, like, he would just naturally play the game in such a way where it would be good. Yeah, it's weird. When you play Miracles, you're not supposed to cast your spells. You're supposed to react to your opponent's spells or, like, wait for a better moment. And I'm not used to yeah, that. Yeah, that's how, how Philip, Philip Schoeniger taught it to me. Like, when I was trying to get into Miracles because I was feeling fed up with elves uh, at the <laughs> time, I went to, like, his school of Miracles. And he also taught me, like, when you can, just play a land and pass the turn. Try to avoid <laughs> casting spells. Eventually, you're just going to come out ahead. And like you make your opponent do the work, and then you react to that. So that was actually quite a formative experience for me with regards to playing Miracles. And I think it actually like improved my game a lot. And I'm, it's really sad that Philip isn't around anymore. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that. We lost that. him to the philosophies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but what can he do? He went to, to China to become like a monastery mentor and then eventually, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he sure did. Yeah, so Miracles. Um, I also believe like the biggest question is the choice of win conditions. And over here, um, there's also a couple of guys who go without 
entreat or mentor. So they really just like in the main deck, they tell me their win condition is Teferi, uh, the, the five mana planeswalker. So, uh, oh my god, so, that's the worst one. I mean, so, they have Jace too, though. Jace is I, better than Teferi. Yeah, but I technically you can even survive Chase if you have eight cards in hand. <laughs> but then eventually you're probably just going to die to Snapcaster. I, I have a lot of opinions about that, and they mostly come from me having watched the blue-white standard deck ad nauseum, wondering why Teferi let it target itself. I mean, honestly, they didn't think of that. There's no way. I, I, I yeah. think they probably did not think of that during development, which is, you know, a slight oversight, but ended up being one that allowed the construction of no win-con blue-white in standard. Honestly, I think that's like probably fine for game ones, but when you invest five mana in a post-board game just to get power blasted is way less fine. Yeah. It, to me, it's also never really convinced me. It's It just feels like, and why wouldn't you have at least like one entreat there to just close out the games, especially against decks like Death and Texas, or if it ever comes back, even Goblins, like... People tell me, oh, there's going to be so much reanimator, there's going to be so much goblins at MKM Prague. But I think that's not exactly how legacy works. Like, you you don't, like, just decide, hey, I play this deck now, which uses a lot of cards I've never played before. So I think <laughs> it's going to be fine for a while in Miracles, but if, if people catch on to, to them being really light on win conditions, they will abuse that quite a bit. So I always felt really good about Entreat the Angels, just because it's so good against the midrange decks which might come back. Like, I'm even wondering, is Shardless going to make a comeback? I think you will not see Shardless, like... The reason I don't think you'll see it is that it had a lot of problems, and its biggest problem was its inherent clunkiness, even with Deathrite Shaman. Yeah, true. So I, I, I really can't see it without Deathrite. I mean, you could play Birds of Paradise, but that is a much worse card for, you know, like a thousand reasons, obviously. Maybe not Shardless Bug, but maybe like Shardless Bant. You play Noble Hierarch, yeah. Stoneforge Mystic. Not excited. Softer Sword. Oh, that was the deck I played, actually. It had Ancestral Vision, um, Shardless Agent, Stoneforge Mystic, and the Thopter Sword combo. So That sounds super I, clunky. I, I, <laughs> that sounds like it's going to lose big time to, to Canadian. Yeah, Rug wasn't as big at the time. Bug was the main deck, and it was definitely good against Bug. Yeah. Uh, when I tested the, the bant list, but I don't know, a lot's changed. Something else that people bring up uh, every now and then is to, to make... Oh, Whoa, sorry, what's that? Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm going to be right back. Okay, sure. <laughs> Dog is losing it. It sounded like you, you had some hidden prisoner somewhere in, in the back room, and he was trying to escape. Oh, it's just Bob's dog named Tolly. I suppose you can edit this part out later. Ah, I think viewers will like it, unless it takes him like two minutes or something. Is he taking him for a walk or something? I just walked outside. He'll probably be right back. But okay. <laughs> I actually do have a bunch of thoughts about uh, goblins. Yeah, I think go goblins ahead. goblins has not aged well. And one of the major reasons I think goblins has not aged well is that it's hard for it to gain a lot of new cards. Um, I think Chain Roller may be good, but the problem is if you play a deck with four Rashad Import and four Wasteland... It's really hard to cast Goblin Chain Roller in a deck like that. Yeah, I think if it ever comes down, it would probably be off while, and that's already like not that easy for them to do. Uh, also, our Goblin players here, a lot of them either stopped playing Wastelands or Ports. Usually they first cut the Ports, and sometimes they even ended up cutting the Wastelands once they added huh. for Caverns and stuff. Um, 
I think these really old school goblins where you played like 24, sometimes 25 lands and like all these yeah. off-color lands. Not sure that actually has a spot in the meta game anymore. It just like it generates a lot of card advantage, but like if it's just gonna be like a bunch of one ones and and yeah, basically one ones. Grixis Diver did that a lot better, and yeah. right now, I just don't see a really good spot for them. Even though I think they got a new card that destroys equipment, which were traditionally quite good against them. Yeah, I I think that card is actually very very good. It's going to replace Tuk Tuk Scrapper. Uh, the reason being is that you want to mention to our listeners what it does. What uh, it's I believe it's a three and a red two two and has the ability that sacrifice a goblin destroy target artifact. Yeah, so you get to destroy artifacts at instant speed, which can be very yeah, relevant. Yeah, and you can just sack like your Mog War Marshal, so like you don't have to pay its echo and kill their thing. I I actually used to play quite a bit of goblins in like two thousand five up to two thousand ten as well. Um, the, you are correct that they used to play 24 lands, and that's because playing for a port for Wasteland meant that your lands were basically trading for their lands all the time, so you could afford to play a higher land count. Yeah, so... <clears throat> I think it's not going to be really good anymore, but I think a lot of people who used to play the deck might just, like pack it out again just because they feel so relieved that Deathlight Shaman is gone. At least that you know, that's the vibe that I get from our local community here in Munich where we had a lot of like very right. dedicated goblin players in the past who eventually moved away from the deck and, and explored other decks. But they are probably all going to be back on goblins for MKM Prague. But overall, okay. I don't think there's going to be this huge influx of goblin players. I think it doesn't really work that easily in Legacy. Yeah, I, I don't think it works that easily. It's hard for newer players to go to a deck like that because it's such a different playstyle. I I used to joke that Goblins was the best midrange deck that no one knew was a midrange deck because <laughs> yeah. we had four Terminates that drew you a card and you had four creatures that just made a bunch of chump blockers. I'm referring to Mogmore Marshall, not Siege Gang Commander. Even though obviously right, Siege right. Gang is insane at that. And it also had a combo kill in Skirk Prospector plus Sharpshooter if you wanted to play that route. Yeah, I remember when I got into Legacy, like 2005, I was so scared of Goblins because to me it was like this super hyper-aggressive deck that went like turn two, yeah. pile driver, turn three, kill you, whatever. So when I played like a mid-range deck against it that like I think should have been favored, can't really call it a deck, it was just random cards, all I cared about was Goblin Piledriver. And I named Goblin Piledriver like on every cabal therapy that I played and eventually after the game the guy told me, hey, I actually sided out Piledriver. Yes. And Oh, I yeah. couldn't believe that. Like, why would you side out Goblin Piledriver, the best card in the entire deck? And then he told me, yeah, I think my deck is more like a mid-range deck. And I was like, dude, your deck is a mid-range deck? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. That's some yeah, realization that Goblin has to set in. Goblin Piledriver is the best card in that deck. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Like, I haven't played against that deck in a long time. And I don't even know if people are going to build it with Piledriver anymore. Because, like, it's, it, it's not what the deck is good at. The deck is good at staying alive and then drawing cards. The, the last time I played that deck... All my power drivers were in my sideboard. I would only side them in versus Murfolk and Combo. Yeah, that makes sense. Actually, I, I don't. Yeah. I don't hate that. Oh, yeah. about Murfolk, by the way, I actually played against Murfolk uh, the other day when I was testing new testing <laughs> in quotation marks a new legacy. <laughs> Describe the, the deck as one sound. The best part in the Murfolk deck, I think, is True Name, and yeah. there are a lot of other decks that are just better at using true name so i played bant against merfolk and his lords pumped me so that was nice <laughs> <laughs> that is always a nice one 
uh, I hope it makes yeah. a comeback. I, I don't know. I always liked the games where Murphy was involved um, to a certain degree. Maybe it's going to be less interesting because now they have True Name Nemesis. And they might even play uh, Phantasmal Image because it's good with True Name Nemesis. So maybe it turns into like this modern-like version of of uh, Murphy where you just jam a lot of lords, even, uh, even though you can't run True Name in, in modern Whereas in the past, it had cards like Standstill and sometimes even main deck Echoing Truth. But all of that, that sounds so mediocre compared to what Legacy is capable of now. And speaking of, what do you think about Standstill? Like, is Standstill a card that we could see a lot more? Like, in the shell of, I don't even know, like, blue-red Standstill control decks or even the three-color back control decks? Like, you know, Channel Fireball used to play that with four deeds and yeah. four Standstills? No, it- I remember the GP that Paulo top aided. Yeah, it, that, uh, that was the one. With Bug Standstill. Actually, beat Wilson Hunter in the top eight of that GP. Little known fact. Um, <laughs> the legacy historian, Charvis Hugh. <laughs> yeah, the, the thing about those decks is I think Legacy has gotten so much faster that Standstill's not a reliable card draw engine that I, I don't think it's great, but obviously now and then someone's going to do well with it. And Really, it has a lot to do with the fact that if your creature lands go unassailed by like opposing wastelands or whatever, then I think your deck is better. But barring that, I think there's a lot of issues. Like, I don't ever. If you've ever played Standstill versus like an Aether Vial deck and they lead to Aether Vial and you're just looking at the Standstills, you're just like, <laughs> God, why me? Why now? What? What? I chose to do this to myself. <laughs> Also, how do you think it matches up against Miracles? I think in general, Standstill is favored versus Miracles, but that's like one of the main reasons to play it. The spell snares are good. The like sitting there doing nothing until you play a creature land and a Standstill is good. And like they don't have any ways to like wasteland your creature lands, so it's just great for you. Do you want like all variants of Standstill or blue white, blue black, blue red? Yeah, I was just talking in the aggregate. But I, I think in general, Standstill, like as an overall strategy, is probably good for blue white miracles or blue white red miracles. I guess it's going to be especially good if you run uh, red blasts in the sideboard because then the moment that yeah. break the standstill, there's usually this huge counter bar and somebody's going to come out ahead. And if you get access to cheap uh, hard counters for important stuff, that should be good. I guess Flusterstorm is similar, but then you got to start out with like uh, a hard counter to eventually win the counter bar. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Actually, I feel like yeah, Landstill could be a deck again. I don't see why not. Like the like, now that Eternal the, Dragon has like, been freed from Death White Shaman. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It, uh, if you ever played Standstill versus like Death and Taxes, it is a horrible experience. Oh yeah. It, like well, basically you can't beat Vile, I guess. You can, Cavern of Souls is actually a huge problem too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. even if they get turn one mother. They can block your factory for quite a while until you get like two going. Mm-hmm. The other decks is actually built set up pretty well to beat the control decks. It just happens to be like Miracles is the control deck that has like the trump card of a one mana sweeper. Um, but like in general, that Taxes does very well against control decks. Yeah, I think it's the kind of deck that's built to do like to feed on control decks, uh, but also being good against uh, creature yeah. decks. And ever since they got Recruiter, like. They literally just, if they have a vial on three and then they have recruiter, they get a flicker risk. They just make unending numbers of guys. It's just like so hard to deal with. Yeah, if you watch, for example, Mark Barra play, he also like plays in a way that he really tries to exercise the card advantage engine that is recruiter plus flicker wisp. 
And there's so many recruiters who just get additional recruiters, and it's glorious to watch. And I really hope that Mark is going to go back to, to streaming and playing Death in Texas, because <laughs> I always enjoyed that. Yeah. Uh, yes. the, the slowest squadron hawk is like, is <laughs> Okay, so Julian, here's a question for you. How do you feel about elves? Like, you're, you're not sure because it depends on the fair decks and the combo decks that rise to the top. But then I saw the very first build you had. And you, you cut natural order, so can you talk about that? And can you also talk about like the other elves that you played that you weren't playing before? Like I think I like Azuri. Yeah, so elves, obviously it lost a very important strategic and tactical tool in Deathwatch Chairman because in very many games he would just like machine gun, machine gun out the opponent with crit and range and Deathwatch Chairman. So in the absolute you lost something, but I think in context um, it's not that bad because Grixis Diver was always like a matchup. It wasn't like horrible, but it's also not something you were thrilled to face. And Checkpile and the number of Leobolds you faced also like, it was quite frustrating at times uh, in a way. So I think Death in Texas is still a deck. Uh, Death in Texas. <laughs> Elves is, is still a deck. Um, and whether it's like, it's probably not as good anymore in context as it used to be, but I could be wrong, because if you see a lot more Death in Texas and like fair mid-range creature strategies, uh, Elves usually like goes over them by with the, their card advantage engine. Um, I will... Or I want to say that I'm not sure that cutting natural order is the way to go. Um, what I just did is I went back to GP Gen 2012 for uh, Lucas Maurer, a friend of mine, who's like one of the main reasons I actually got into Elves, uh, made the finals against Timo Schulemann on uh, A&T, or was it TNT? Mm. It doesn't matter. Uh, and I, I used that list like as a base for what I wanted to do. So I was looking at it, and Lucas was playing six mana dogs, and I think I also played six mana dogs in that list I streamed the other day, or I put on YouTube the other day. And he also like relied heavily on the story and not natural order. And the thing is, I've never really like liked natural order a lot against like the blue decks. Uh, so I just wanted to try that out, uh, give it a slight update and then see how that performs. Eventually, I could totally see the natural order going back in because it's such a dominant strategy. And especially like in GPs, when, when it really matters, I, I like having these dominant strategies that, that put your opponent on the spot. Uh, but overall, I kind of liked it. Uh, but I also realized that the story only pumps other elves. And <laughs> that sometimes was a bit awkward because you tap your elves while attached to it and then you don't get to pump your dried arbors and your viable symbiotes. So sometimes you actually need, need it to get in for two attacks, which could be fine if if things work out, but mm, I definitely felt that I wanted at least one Krata Oath in the deck, even without Natural Order, so eventually maybe Natural Order is going to return. I don't see a need for Nissa right now, because Nissa was mostly a reaction to Checkpile, where you wanted like a permanent threat or, or something like an engine that stays on the board, even against their sweepers. Um, other than that, a card that I, we've been discussing, not a lot, but... I, I had it on my mind and I was talking to a couple of uh, other Elves players, is Beast Within. Because if you stay mono green, I really like having Beast Within as an answer to somewhat problematic stuff, even like Chase or Tabernacle or what have you. And I think it's not even bad if, you, if you're if you on the play and you go turn to Beast Within on their only land and they're set back to zero. That's also something like I'm not looking to. Okay, this is gonna. This is going the completely wrong direction. I'm not looking to turn elves into a land destruction deck, but I think Beast Within has a lot of potential in elves, especially in the mono green build, which has huge upsides against Canadian and Moonstompy decks because you also get to run four caverns, which is also like great against Moonstompy until they have Blood Moon. But if they have Blood Moon and Chalice, I think it's still okay because they're not doing anything else for a while. Mm, so. 
Overall, I'm really, really excited and enthusiastic about elves, even though I realize that a good list has yet to be found. And that's why I'm really looking forward to trying it out like a lot on Magic Online over the next weeks. Well, let me ask you one thing about the original list you started with to build this list. Was Avacyn Restore even printed by that point? No. No, Everson Restart so wasn't. Yeah. Oh, actually, actually, no, no, no. Let me go back. Everson Restart had Terminus, right? Because Terminus was legal yeah. back then. Yeah, yeah, it had been printed. Okay, but I think no one had put the connection between Natural Order and Creator Hoof yet. No, that was the next January when Madness played Elves. I think well, it was GP Denver. Right. Yeah. Well, the Death Rate had just come out by that point too. So all of these combinations of cards put together made the deck into a super powerhouse. I always used to joke that Elves was the best Death Rate deck by so much because you could activate it like six times return or whatever yeah yeah you, you would sometimes like drain out the opponent from 20 while they were hiding behind uh, blazing archon or glacier chasm <laughs> oh i i did that to a lands player when i was first playing against lands locally i just glimpsed through my entire deck went to my end step and discarded like eight sorceries yeah, exactly that's the key because i've seen uh, players yeah. scoop because they're like oh i'm not, never gonna get these screens and sentence into a graveyard like yeah but just say no, go. you just go to your end stump and discard them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're not creative enough. Yeah. I was creative enough. I'm like, oh, every activation, tap, photo black, you know, drain you, draw a card off glimpse, keep going, go, 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 go. Oh, end step, I have like 15 cards in my hand. I'll just discard these natural orders and green some zeniths. <laughs> easy, easy. So yeah, it, it back then it was more like... I think it would even be generous to call it a tier, tier 2 strategy at the time because it really wasn't on the forefront of most people mind, people's minds. Uh, I think it was better than people gave it credit for. Uh, so that's basically the reason why I went into the deck in the first place. I thought it was like playable, but I didn't really want to play a lot of Legacy anymore because I had like picked up a new job and stuff. Mm-hmm. But then things snowballed in the other direction because the deck was so good. And then we got like the legendary rule chains that, that made Cradle a lot better as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm curious how how that's going to develop, but I do see Krotahoof back in the deck. I'm pretty sure about that. Azuri is cool for the mid-range things because it's much easier to cast and just like get it down turn 3 and threaten to be lethal on the next turn. Uh, and it also has some value with the reg- regeneration ability, but... Yeah, uh, sometimes you get people, but honestly, they should look at the board and not throw the rules but anywhere except the Zuri. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, all, it was also quite awkward against Death in Texas where they could um, Karakas it. So basically you had to play it for three and uh, then activate it. And at that point you already had invested eight mana anyways. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I think you'll end up playing like at least one Natural Order, if not two, and one Crater Hoof at least. Yeah, one credit off should definitely be in, especially also if you end up playing crop rotation. Uh, your green sun sunnets sometimes also just turn into natural orders because you're going to have so much mana. Right. I'm just wondering whether I want a splash or not because I really enjoy being mono green, but the deck can easily facilitate uh, a splash, and I'm not sure which one that should be. It will probably oh. depend a lot on on what other decks we see because it will also have a big influence on the sideboard. So without death right in the deck. What are your colored sources? So you have like Fetchlands, Bayous, Birchlore Rangers. Yeah, how many Birchlores are you going to play though? Probably two. At least that's what I've got my list right now. But also, like, I want the list to be as proactive as possible right now until I've figured things out. So the more, like, enablers for early combo turns I have, the better I feel. 
But if you run like six mana dogs like I do right now, you don't need to have two bachelor rangers. Um, we will see. But if you run a splash, you would probably run two bachelor rangers. Yeah, bachelor can help you turn two. Sometimes it depends a lot on what your hand looks like. Heritage is actually sometimes harder to turn to with than yeah yeah Birchor, because Birchor plus metal is basically really really broken yeah wait so what are your combo hate options if you don't play black if you don't play get well, main deck canonist yeah yeah but then that's not mono green though but mono green you got this stupid druid itchy and druid from legends but i'm not going to play that that deals four damage whenever your opponent plays an instant <laughs> yeah i remember that card so so you're either playing like so, so you're definitely splashing your color, right? Like, you can't just play no white well, you, or black, right? He's just deciding which color he wants to play, I think, at this point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so but mono green's not an option. But you can play mono green, and you just just play mind by traps and stuff like either surgical or ley line. And I also had a, a Gadoptique in the main deck that you can cast off the four caverns, the birch rangers, and also the one yeah. of horizon canopy that you can crop rotate for. So, yeah, if you're not playing Natural Order, you definitely play Gaddock Teague. And honestly, you probably just play Gaddock Teague regardless um, in the early days, just, just because people are going to be playing Storm, people are going to be playing Sneak and yeah. Show. The thing is about Gaddock Teague, I'm not that sold on it against Storm because they usually, at least right now, they're going to change probably. They had so much spot removal in the sideboard. So, Gaddock Teague wasn't as great as I wanted it to be. So, it's much better in the main deck than in the sideboard. So, yeah. <laughs> cool, cool thing to note. Uh, Leovold, uh, Edric, and Gagtig are all advisors, I believe. Oh, nice. advisor tribal. Sorry, Edric, Edric, I think, is actually a rogue, but now that I think about it, it's an elf rogue, I think, because he's a spy master. Eh, he might be an advisor. I don't know. Let me check it um, out. But I, I know Leovold is definitely an advisor, and Gagtig is an advisor. Combo's an advisor, right? Elf Rogue, it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Yeah, Leo is an elf advisor. Yep, so okay, at least you can backdoor. I mean, so that's the other thing. That's one of the cards that took a huge hit secretly is Leovold. It's kinda sad, but that card also has way too much rules text on it, frankly. <laughs> and it also got this this cocky kind of image. The, the artwork where he's like was, was yeah. One, one of the, yeah yeah Leovold I was just gonna say one of the most played creatures in Legacy it was like in 15% of decks and now like none of those decks are playable in their old form so it's gonna be super interesting because the power level's there but the problem with it is it's a 3 drop so like I'm really curious what people do like you could play in like a dark pant shell but then you would probably be playing Birds of Paradise um, you could play in a bug mid-range deck but then again those decks you know, they don't have an accelerator, so... I don't know, maybe maybe you don't need an accelerator. Maybe you can s still survive off things like, I don't know, Fatal Push, Snapcaster Mage, Engineered Explosives. Um, but those decks are just going to be built completely differently, too. So, I don't know, I think there probably will still be a Leovold deck, but it's going to be way less than before. I wonder whether I'll play Leovold and Fs. It would be like a really hard splash, but with four Cavern of Souls, it's actually, like, not that hard. If you play a couple of Virtual Rangers as well, but I think it's... I really can't tell yet. Like we said before, uh, I really want to see how the meta game like pans out. Uh, at least the Magic Online, and then I'll adjust accordingly. I feel this is this is like a really cool position of like a luxury to to actually 
be this open about what you're gonna do with your deck because you don't yet know what you needed to do, uh, <laughs> except for like smash face. But after sideboarding, things get different. So yeah, I'm I'm wondering, and I'm open to a lot of things. I could even see a blue splash. Uh, that's like. I don't want to call it the Holy Grail of Elves, but every now and then we, we played blue for stuff like Flusterstorm, and it was okay, especially since Flusterstorm is really good against Show and Tell, but it doesn't really like do something about the main problem, which is Emrakul of Sneak Attack, which is really hard to stop for us. So maybe we're just like, I'm going to play some generic sideboard that has a couple of needles and, and stuff. So I'm, I'm undecided, but I'm feeling that Elves is still playable and... Depending on how the meta game shapes up, it might be either worse or even better than it used to be in the last meta game. <laughs> uh, I agree with that. I agree that it's either going to be worse, the same, or better. <laughs> <laughs> and the sky is blue. Uh, actually, in Germany right now, it's pretty black. It's quite late here. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, guys, so what are going to be the, like, the next big tournaments that you are playing in, legacy-wise? Uh, I guess I'll go first. Drivers has the important ones. I'm just going to be playing in a couple more team opens. Um, I, I'm really curious as, to see if they renew this cycle because SCG has done so many team opens. And it's good and bad because I've gotten to play a lot of Legacy. But I, I, I'm not like a huge fan of the team formats. Um, at, the first couple were cool and I would still do some. But when like 90% of them are team, it, it gets a little tedious. So yeah, I'm playing in the team open in Worcester next weekend. Or not next weekend, the weekend after that. And then the weekend after that, I'm playing in the team open in Philly. And then after that, there's the GP. There's a GP already coming up? Yeah, there's a GP in Richmond. It's going to be the last week of August. So um, it's awesome that North America got two GPs this year. I'm super excited. And Richmond's like where I used to live. So I'm very happy to go and try to like, you know, defend the home turf. We played in Richmond, right? In 2014 yeah. when I came over. I remember that. I played against you in the penultimate round. Yep, that's and right. I, I killed you, and then you looked at your hand, and you were, you were like, that was not how it was supposed to go, because you had like everything if you only got another turn. <laughs> yeah, more or less. <laughs> oh, that was that was a fun trip. I still have so many videos and images that I eventually want to like edit into a video. I used to think Jeskai Delver was like incredibly favored against elves, because you had all these one-mana removal spells. Yeah, um, I, I hated playing like, against it. I don't it. know, like, maybe, I, I feel like I probably still was favored, but maybe it was closer than I thought. I'm not sure. Well, so, and Travis, you, you've got, like, the big tournaments coming up? Yeah, so I'm playing one of the SCG Opens that Bob listed, but I'm also playing the Pro Tour, which is why I'm not going to reveal everything. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Makes so sense. What, what, what I've said on this podcast is what I believe, but I'm not going to go into specifics about decks that are maybe off the wall, you know, yeah, that could yeah. be good. So watch Jarvis win the, the Pro Tour with Lance. <laughs> Who are you teaming with? Uh, Ari Lax is probably playing Modern. It, it's actually me and Ari could switch at any point is the thing. Like, Who's your third? Uh, Mark Jacobson's going to play Standard no matter what. He's, okay. So it's actually harder for Mark, I think, than it is for us two. Because this is the biggest standard format that's existed in a while. There are about 2,200 cards legal in the format. What? That's enormous if you're keeping track. Yeah. And the reason is there was supposed to be rotations for the standard, but then they changed their mind like multiple times. So there are more sets that are in standard than there were supposed to be by this point. 
Did you guys see um, that that data that Wizards of the Coast actually published about the win percentage yes. of different standard decks? I found that quite interesting. I wish we would get that more. I know that they don't <laughs> like doing that, but um, I only saw the data, but I think they used it as a way to justify not banning Chain Roller. Yeah, that's that's like a whole nother discussion about their data policy. Obviously, most players are like, come on, just do what Hearthstone does, right? They release everything, and I, you can look at everything, even I, like League of Legends. Yeah. yeah, I'm actually skeptical that data is good, because yeah. our testing showed that red was well pretty good versus a lot of the green decks so that keep, they said So keep good. in mind that it also depends completely on like pros testing versus like exactly. random magic online. And like that was an interesting thing, too. Like It listed Grixis Delver 55%. Which obviously, like when I played it, it was like much more like seventy five percent. So like it's kind of interesting. Like maybe that's the delta of like when a deck is broken is if an average player is winning fifty five percent of the time. That's like a little bit too high. Um, so I don't know. It's like, I, it's like it's interesting that they restated it. I wish they would do it every time, but who knows? Hmm. And scrapping it together like all by yourself is way too much work. I did it for a really big MKM event, but even that, like, it's not going to be that representative. Even if you I have like 500 players, it it's. With, with yeah. bots on MTG Goldfish, but yeah. then they shut it down basically. So I think you yep. can still do it. You can write a script to go, go and do yeah, it. Yeah, um, actually. But then, like, you can't publish it, so. I, I know a guy who does that. I believe I know a guy who does that, and like. I was once approached about like, hey Julian, if somebody had that data and they were to give it to you, what would you actually do with it? And apparently, I, I answered the wrong thing, which was like to publish it, and then I never got it. Yeah, that's that's funny. <laughs> I said I would host it like on a server somewhere in the Congo or or wherever, and then publish it. But yeah, maybe that was the wrong answer. <laughs> but maybe they were bullshitting me. But he he seemed like pretty legit. Anyway. <laughs> Um, so yeah, is there anything else you guys want to add to to new legacy? To our no, I'm, just, today? I'm excited to see how things go. So like, I think Prague is going to be the first big solo legacy tournament, and that's in two weeks, right? Yeah, that's the twenty second of July. Okay, yep, cool. Uh, I'll be keeping an eye out for those results. Yeah, definitely. We should see if we can get all the deck lists again. <laughs> I can. I think I could actually arrange for that. I'm pretty sure I could. Because MKM usually only publishes the top eight, actually only. And I know them pretty well. I think I will talk to them to see whether I can get the deck list. Because they should be happy to get like additional coverage and exposure. Because I was talking to them that they have to really, really milk this um, in their coverage. Because a lot of people are actually right. going to turn towards it. Uh, right. So yeah, I really hope that we can get a lot of data out of that. How many people are they expecting for this one? Um, for Prague, I think you could reasonably expect... Huh. So if it was Frankfurt, I would say easily four to 500. But since it's Prague, two to three... Like, 300 is too much. It used to be 300 for Prague. Like people are really excited to play the I, format, I, I, so I, I think it say, might be higher well, than usual. Is there going to be an influx of people registering and showing up now that these bans have occurred? Mm, yeah, but it's a bit short notice because I local I realized in our local community um, a lot of people already made different plans because it's like summer and they're doing different things. Sure. Um, okay. So if it had been like a month and a half in advance or something, but I think we're gonna get something between one hundred and two hundred. I hope it's more and like I've seen more and they even rented the GP venue, so they're not using the usual MKM Prague venue, which is smaller. So. Maybe they're expecting more people. That would be good. It would be really cool. Okay. 
Okay, so with that we're gonna end tonight's cast. Thanks guys for coming on. And yeah, we're just excited, as excited as you probably are about the new Legacy meta game. I'm sorry if your deck got killed, but I think there's still a lot of ways you can use your cards. Uh, like Especially like Grixis Delver should translate quite well into other decks. And and if not, then you still have underground seas that are like probably worth a lot more than you bought them for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So tune in. Um, follow us on Twitch. Follow us. Actually, follow me on Twitch. I'm at it's Julian. Uh, no, that's my Twitter at it's Julian twenty three. Uh, on Twitch, I'm at Twitch TV slash it's Julian. I recently started streaming a little more again and also like putting out videos uh, of which there will be a lot more about elves in the new legacy format on it's Julian And how can guys reach you? Uh, I also stream on Twitch, twitch.tv slash JarvisU, uh, Twitter at JKYU06. I will happily answer questions uh, if they do not ask me what I'm playing in the Pro Tour. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fair. Um, and then you can find me on Twitch and Twitter as well at Grizzlepuff. Yeah, I'm also going to put everything in the show notes so people can easily just click that. Uh, so, yeah, as I said, thanks guys for coming on. And. See you and everyone else on the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, Julian. Really.